Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 as uh, we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews and chapter 11 of Hebrews. Um, we had some discussions as we were getting ready to start with chapter 11, and it's like, how do we approach it? And as we looked at it, and as we started into it, we realized the, the beauty of just breaking down each of these examples of faith and what they meant and what they mean. And I pray that it has been beneficial to all of you. I know that it's been beneficial to me. And today is no different. As we look at this section of text, we'll start at verse 17. We'll go through verse 19. It says, by faith. That's right there. There we go. When he was by faith, when by Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, the purpose of a test is to prove something. We take tests in school, right, children? Not your favorite time of school, I'm sure. But you take tests to prove how much you know. But tests don't always prove that. Some people aren't great test takers. But we do take tests, and the central purpose is to test your aptitude. We take see how well we understand rules and laws and how well we can drive. All, again, tests to prove our level of aptitude, our level, our skill level. Today, as we look at this text, we look at a different kind of test. It's not a test of aptitude. It's a test of faith. Not a proof of aptitude, but a proof of faith. We'll look at the test, the provision, and a beautiful parallel. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We praise you for this text. We praise you for this truth, Father. God, may your spirit guide us as we look at the life of Abraham and the test that you brought him through his son Isaac, Father. May we apply it to our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, first we look at the test. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. The Greek word here for test also appears in the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, for those of you who don't know what that is, that is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And what the Septuagint allows you to do, I can't read Greek, but what it allows you to do is to cross-reference words from the New Testament, which was written in Greek, to the Old Testament, which was written primarily in Hebrew and Aramaic. And the Septuagint is a translation of the Hebrew and the Aramaic into Greek. 
So like I said, then you can compare words and you can look at their context and their meaning across, across that reference point. These tools are helpful as we study, as we dig deep into verses in Scripture. I enjoy studying these original language words. I don't typically try to pronounce the Greek words anymore. Frankly, I'm just not very good at it. I have a hard time getting it enunciated correctly or get the emphasis in the right places. I have enough of a struggle sometimes pronouncing English words. When you listen to text-to-speech on a device, uh, you learn incorrect ways to pronounce words sometimes. So if you hear me mispronouncing even English words sometimes, it's prompted by this thing. So I try to catch those and I try to correct them, but that's all a side note. In the account of this story, the word here translated tested also occurs in several other places in the New Testament. In some places, it's a focus on the temptation to sin, as well as, as it is here in chapter 11, on the proving of faith. The detail of this story, of this account of Abraham and Isaac is found in Genesis chapter 22. Isaac was probably around the age of 12 or 13 when this happened. Abraham faced an unimaginable task. Again, Genesis 22, first two verses. It says, after, after these things, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. A burnt offering happens whenever an animal is killed. Its blood is drained and its body is burned. This would be an unimaginable test for any father. Yet this is how Abraham was tested. And what did Abraham do? Back to Genesis 22, continuing the story in verse 3. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he packed the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. This test, again, was unimaginable. I have seven precious children. It is unfathomable to consider what could have been going through Abraham's, would have been going through Abraham's mind. In the fact alone that Abraham was called to offer up his son in this way. But this test had another element to it. Isaac, his son, also carried a promise. A promise had been placed upon him by God. Verse 17. It says, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Abraham had received the promises. He was told that they would come through this son Isaac. You say, but Isaac wasn't his only son. Why does it say only son? What about Ishmael? 
One commentator sums it up this way, and I think it's a pretty tidy summary of why this text would say his only son. Isaac was his only son with his wife Sarah. The union through which God said that he would bring the son of the promise. So in that context, Isaac was his only son. Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. Moses wrote, For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. If Isaac died, not only would Abraham lose his son, but the means of the promise would be gone. Interestingly, I would contend that this second fact, that the the reality that Isaac was the means of the promise, made this a little bit easier for Abraham. Not to go through it, because that had to be horrible, but to have a decent idea of how it was going to end. Not in practice, but to know that God had a bigger plan here because he knew. Abraham, by faith, believed the promise that the promises would come through the son Isaac. God, who never breaks his promises. So how could this possibly end in death for Isaac? In Abraham's mind, walking in faith, he knew it couldn't. The case can be made that Abraham never thought that Isaac wouldn't be coming back with him. Genesis 22 verse 5 gives us a pretty good hint about that. It says, Then Abraham said to his young men, these two men that he brought with him, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will, will go over there and worship and come again to you. I and the boy... We'll go over there and worship and then come again to you. He left no room that Isaac would not be coming back. And he also didn't tell him that he was going to sacrifice Isaac. He told them that they were going to worship. And that, again, in in a way, told them that they were both coming back. Then in Genesis 22, verse 8. Isaac asked on the way to the altar, he asked where the offering was. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the ram for a burnt offering, my son. He didn't say he'd provide the offering. He said he would provide the ram for a burnt offering. The details of Abraham's faith are astounding and amazing and encouraging. So they went, both of them together. Now this could have been a way to calm Isaac. But again, Abraham was very specific. He didn't say that he would provide a burnt offering. He said that God would provide a ram for the burnt offering. I believe it was another testament of Abraham's faith. He trusted, he knew that Isaac would not be the final sacrifice. What did Abraham pass the test? Well, he's in the faith chapter. But yes, he passed the test. What what an amazing testimony of walking in obedience and, and 
probably not really having any idea, and we're going to expand on that a little bit, any idea how God was going to accomplish this. But in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, the angel of the Lord said from heaven, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. He passed the test. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God was testing Abraham's fear of him, his reverent fear of him, his trust that God was God and it, that he rewards those who obey him. Remember, we covered that a couple weeks ago in, as we went through chapter 11. Abraham's faith was proven. He knew, he knew that God would provide. Verse 19 of chapter 11. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Because Abraham responded in faith to God's command, God repeated his promise to Abraham. Back to Genesis 22, verse 17. God said, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Abraham had passed the test. God reassured the promise. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. That's what he told Abraham. How could he pass this test? How could Abraham walk this trial, this journey, this test? How could he pass this test? In practicality, he put himself aside. He set himself aside. He made this nothing about himself. And he believed God's promise. Again, how could he do that? How could he be so selfless? How could he be so trusting? Trusting in a God that would ask him to do such a thing? How could he do that? How could his faith be that strong? Abraham passed God's test because he was committed to God's promises. Remember, we talked a little bit about Abraham. It wasn't like an instant, I'm all in, God. He tried to take things into his own hands a couple of times. When he thought it was impossible to conceive a son, he, he went with Sarah's handmaid. When he thought he was in danger, he tried to pass Sarah off as his sister. Abraham wasn't perfect. But when he came to the fullness of faith, he was all in. And he was all in because he believed and trusted and rested in the power of the fulfilled promises of his Lord. He showed faith in God through his willingness to obey God's command, through the most outrageous of circumstance, and sacrifice his son. He trusted God to deliver Isaac in the way that would be the greatest display of God's glory. That is the story of the gospel. God has promised 
to save sinners. And has done so in a way that gives him the greatest glory possible. Because he has the only means of salvation. This story closely parallels the story of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Isaac was Abraham's only son as we, as we have defined it. Jesus was God's only son. Abraham and Isaac journeyed three days to Moriah. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Isaac carried the wood for the offering. Jesus carried the cross made of wood, his own cross. In a sense, Isaac did die. He didn't die physically. But as verse 19 says, he did die in the figurative sense. He was taken right up to the point of death and then brought back to life. John MacArthur says this. It says if Noah illustrates the duration of faith, Abraham shows the depth of faith. In magnificent faith, Abraham brought Isaac intending to offer him to God. He believed in resurrection from the dead. Scripture tells us that that was probably the means that he thought was, was God was going to bring Isaac back. Now this, his belief in resurrection from the dead, was before God had ever taught that principle or demonstrated it in any way. There was no Lazarus. There was no Jesus. Those things hadn't happened yet. But Abraham was believing that God could, would somehow, if necessary, raise his son from the dead. He was walking by faith and not by sight. He was walking by faith in a principle that he had never been taught and he had never observed. He had to believe in resurrection because if God allowed him to sacrifice Isaac, resurrection was the only way that God could keep his promise. As big as Noah's faith was, if he was wrong, he had a big boat in the middle of dry land and it was viewed as a fool. If Abraham was wrong, he lost his son. That is not to minimize Noah's faith in any way. It is to demonstrate the magnitude of Abraham's faith. Both were essential in God's plan for mankind. And as it turned out, because he, Isaac, did not actually die, he became only a type of the coming resurrection. He was offered, but he was not killed. God provided a substitute. So in a sense, we can say figuratively that Isaac died and was resurrected. And praise God, we all have the opportunity to die to ourselves and to be resurrected because God provided a substitute for us. In this way, this story anticipates the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. This explains why God, 
who loves his son to an even greater degree than Abraham loved Isaac, sent his son to die for us, to be that substitution. God's word is true. His promises are always fulfilled, even when they seem impossible. We are called to obey them, to obey him, and to follow him by faith. It was the fact that Abraham, in obedience, offered up Isaac that proved his faith. The final standard of faith is real proof, is the willingness to sacrifice. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Abraham and Isaac did, in fact, go to worship. Abraham wasn't lying to the men that he brought with him. They did, in fact, go to worship. What impossible thing is God asking you to do? What is he asking you to sacrifice? Sometimes it's a choice. Sometimes it's not. Without God, it is impossible for you. It's impossible for me. It's impossible for any of us to overcome temptation, to pass a test, to face physical trials, relationship struggles, financial hardship, to give up a career that we think we badly want, to give up a dream of something that we want to do, to give up a relationship to look for and to seek out recognition for an accomplishment. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What we think we can't do without, what we think we can't get through, with God all things are possible and only with God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was necessary for Abraham to offer up Isaac. If God has put a trial, a test, a fire in your life, it is necessary. It was necessary that I was born blind. It was necessary, it was necessary that I would break my ankle. 
Name your trial, your struggle. Is it your parents' rules and choices for you, teenagers? Is it the bully at school, the difficult coworker, the stressful job, evil, foolish, lazy, immature, and ignorant people are going to do us wrong? And in our immaturity, our ignorance, our sinfulness, we're going to do others wrong. God will deal with them. God will deal with us. Do not allow Satan to use the individual to distract you, to make it about him, about her. Because what Satan's doing in having you go down those rabbit trails If so-and-so hadn't done this or so-and-so had done that, then this would have been different. When Satan takes us down those rabbit trails, he's making it about us. Because we have a choice to be self-centered or God-centered. Self-centered is a path of destruction. God-centered is a path of hope and life and eternity. When we face these trials... It's opportunity for us to be God-centered. If God allowed it, let's be clear, if it is a reality, if it's happening, whatever our struggles, whatever our trials, whatever our tests are, if God called Abraham to do this, if we're facing broken ankles or cancer, Parkinson's, you name it, if God allowed it, He is sovereign over all. And if he did allow it, then it is necessary. As painful as it can be, as hard as it is, if God allowed it, then it is necessary. To prove our faith, why? To bring praise and glory and honor That's what Peter says at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Abraham had to offer Isaac. You have to face your trial. I have to face my trial to bring glory and honor to God. Hear me. God grieves at these things. He doesn't want to see us suffer. He wept when he received the news that Lazarus had died. He could have been there to stop it. But it was necessary that Lazarus would die to be resurrected. Our trials, our struggles, the effects of this fallen world bring us grief, bring us sadness. But they also bring us great opportunity to glorify and to bring honor to God, our creator, and to bring others into the kingdom of God. To bring glory and honor to God. Because if he isn't God, if he doesn't deserve glory and honor, then Christ didn't come to save us. And if Christ didn't come to save us, then we are doomed for eternity. Praise God. We are not doomed. Because of his fulfilled promise, through Abraham's descendant, 
Christ did come to save us. And he today sits on the throne at the right hand of his Father, interceding for us, making a way for us, that when we cross over into eternity, and when this world ceases to be what it is now, that we will be in eternity with God, pure and holy, without trial, without struggles, and with peace and hope and restoration. Not for just that dot on the piece of tape that Josh talked about, but for the eternity of the tape. Abraham's obedience was necessary. Our trials, our struggles are necessary. Necessary to point us to, one, to the one who deserves the honor and the glory. The one who has provided a way, who has given the substitute for our sinfulness, for our wretchedness. So that we can be ushered into eternity with the God who created us and with the God who loves us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you bring us through trials. God, when we're in the midst of trials, when we're in the midst of testing, when we see what you're asking us to do, but we don't want to do it, Lord, we know it's necessary. We know that you wouldn't allow anything because you are in control. You are sovereign. But God, we thank you that you use those trials, those struggles, those big asks, like the big ask you had for Abraham. You use those to shape us and to bring glory to you and to bring others into your kingdom. May we see the necessity of those trials and may we turn quickly toward you. May we see clearly the lies and the deception of Satan when he tries to make it about us. And may we, by the power of the cross, lay down our lives and run to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.